welcome to the podcast series from the National Centre for Research Methods at the University of Southampton. In today's podcast, Professor David Martin talks about the NCRM-funded project, simulation of daily patterns of commuting and social activity, and how new methods can help us better understand how and when people move about our towns and cities. Traditionally, geographers and people who use the outputs of geographic research tend to map population using static data sources. What I mean by that is if you go to a local authority or you go maybe to an emergency department and you look at the maps they've got of where people are, there'll be maps effectively of where people live. And that's because they've come from data sources such as a census of population where members of the population record their home addresses. And we've been very concerned over the last few years with trying to produce representations of population, particularly, for example, that can feed into emergency planning, hazard response, perhaps responding to chemical spillage or something of that kind, or from a marketing perspective that might want to find people during the daytime where they want to use services. In all of those situations, population is in very, very different locations to where we live. Right at the moment, we're having this conversation. It's about half ten in the morning in the UK. Very few people are at home. Most will be at work. Children will be at school. At this particular moment, university students won't be at university, but they would have been a few weeks ago. And we have this massive redistribution of population, which means if we need to respond to an emergency or if we actually have an interest in understanding where people are and the patterns of usage of space, we need much more sophisticated models. And that's really the driver for the project that we've been engaged in, and particularly this NCRM project as well. So what specifically is it that you're looking to find out? We're interested in multiple ways of finding out where people are when they're not at their home address. At the moment, we've got conventional sources which tell us quite well about home addresses. The UK did a census in 2011, lots of data from that becoming available. But actually, as we all move around during the course of the day, during the course of the year, we volunteer lots of information about our locations and also we are measured in lots of different ways. And I'd make a distinction there between, for example, something like the list of pupils enrolled in a school. We as data users don't have any information about who those children are, but we know for each school how many pupils it's got in every year. We know something about the regions that they're coming from. So we can start to build up a picture of where the school-aged children in particular age bands have moved around in a local area during the school day. That's not, if you like, crowdsourced, but it's administrative. And then there's data which we leave a digital trace. For example, if we're carrying, as I am this morning, I'm carrying an Android phone and maybe giving locational information. It's not personal data about me, but the cell network knows that that phone is switched on and it's in this place. And if I were now to engage, as I've just done recently in my daily commute to work, that phone would have moved between the different cells along the way. And also, people engaged in social media often have the option to record a location. So we might get, for example, georeferenced tweets. If people are tweeting, we get information about the fact that they're in a particular place when those tweets are sent. And there are also many other sources, such as traffic cameras used for monitoring congestion. And all the time, those data sources are picking up, if you like, in the aggregate, the movements of people and allowing us to watch rush hours unfold, seeing holiday seasons, seeing the difference between school term times and not term times. 
None of them are complete. They don't tell us about everybody. They give us some very good pointers to the routine redistribution of population through geographical space. Now, just before we go on to talk about uh, what you've actually been doing with all of this information, there are sensitivities in this area, aren't there, particularly around privacy. What can you say to people who, who might require some reassurance about how their personal data or how they perceive it, personal data, uh, is being used? Sure. The work that we're doing here is very much dealing with, if you like, the aggregate redistribution of weights of population. So the way in which we're using something like the Twitter data is that we're looking at the numbers of tweets from particular areas of the city. So we've got no special inside route to information that isn't available from Twitter themselves that you couldn't download from the web, where people have actually allowed those tweets to go on the web. We haven't got information which is telling us who the users are or any of the personal information about those users. Sometimes there's information contained in the tweet which allows us to work out, oh, we think this person's probably travelling on a train or going to the gym or probably at work. But we're not either accessing or, in fact, interested in this research in anything to do with who those individuals are. But there is, and you're quite right to raise it, a general sense in which all of us are leaving digital signals. And I think that a very important distinction is that between when what we're doing is trying to understand system information versus what we often see reported in the media in terms of intrusiveness, where people are actually seeking to use these digital media to find out about an individual person. Now, your area of expertise very much on the modelling side of things. Um, Talk us through exactly what you've been doing. The project that we're working on um, as part of the National Centre for Research Methods at the moment is a collaboration between ourselves in Southampton and Mark Birkin and his team team in Leeds. And what we've realised is that we've been approaching very much this same problem of wanting a much better time-based representation of population. Um, But we've been coming at it in different ways. And so this research is about trying to put those two together. But we've been working also with sources such as school enrolment data, numbers of students in different places, information which tells us about workplaces from other government surveys where the sources are published not about individuals or workplaces but available for small geographical areas. And we've been able to build up, if you like, pictures of the numbers of people that ought to be expected at different locations at different times. And then looking at survey data, such as the Labour Force survey, we can start to understand something about the working patterns of people in different categories of industry. So we've been, for the past few years, very much trying to build up an administratively based estimate of the numbers of people present in lots of small areas. And what we're trying very much to do is to look at ways of calibrating the administrative kinds of sources, which I've been working with and the team here in Southampton, with this very dynamic information which comes from Twitter. And what we're trying to do is effectively use the models we've been running to provide the constraints at the edges and to use the kind of behavioural patterns that Mark's seeing from the Twitter data. And this really represents a first attempt to put those two approaches together. Very clearly cutting-edge methods that you're using here. And uh, what have you been able to achieve so far? At the moment, we're at very early stages here. What we've been doing is effectively building for the city of Leeds a set of models of different time slices through the day and different activities in which the administrative data provide us with people present at locations. And from the Twitter data, Mark has a slice of all the tweets from the Leeds region over a period of several months. And that information 
we're just at the stage now of starting to put these two together. So we're just teetering on the edge at the time that we're having this conversation of starting to put those two sources together and learn something about how we would be able to parameterize the sample data in order to fill in some of the detail against those broader estimates. You mentioned earlier some of the practical applications of, of the work that you're doing. Can you expand a little bit on who you think in the longer term might benefit and how we might benefit from this type of research? The way that perhaps is best able to illustrate this is to talk a little bit about the work that some members of my team have actually been doing. We have a number of PhD students working in this area, uh, each of whom are looking at both at developing the methodology but also have they got interest in particular applications. So one of the um, PhD students in, in the team in Southampton called Alan Smith is working on the potential uses of this sort of information in a flood mapping context. So you don't have to throw your mind very far back in the UK to realise that we have perhaps an increasing tendency to some severe flood events. And where flooding occurs, large numbers of people tend to be affected, especially in city centres. We've also got the challenge of lots of development which has taken place over recent years in floodplains. And one of the things which we're able to do by looking at the way in which floods are traditionally modelled is to improve dramatically the population information that underpins them. What tends to happen is we have very good models for looking at flood risk, but that flood risk is then often mapped onto what's effectively a census population base or a nighttime population base. But of course, flooding, especially if it's related to any kind of tidal influences, risk has got strong cyclical pattern to it. And what Alan is starting to work on is to build both a flood hazard model and a time-based population model where we can actually look at the numbers and some of the characteristics of people who are affected by the different profile of risk. And what we see very clearly from a, a flood planning context is that there's an ebb and flow of population in and out of the flood hazard areas. And that's not the kind of thing which it's previously been possible, possible to get any very good estimates for. So there's one application we're quite excited about. I understand there's also some interesting work going on around emergency planning and uh, the, the use of NHS walk-in centres. Another doctoral student, um, Becky Martin, working in this area, is much more interested in the emergency planning context in terms of emergency response, the kind of thing that local fire brigades, for example, would need to respond to. Where, again, actually a lot of our understanding is based on static information about where people live and a lot of local knowledge about big workplaces, um, industrial locations, shopping centres, things of this kind. And we're hoping very much that by being able to provide a better population model, we can actually develop some much more sophisticated ways of helping in resource allocation there, and thinking in terms of how should you change the pattern of readiness of emergency response during the day, possibly different days of the week or over time in the longer term, when we've got a much better estimate of the people who are going to be affected in um, very specific areas. And just, just to keep taking one other example, lots of interest at the moment in the UK in out-of-hours medical care. And a student who was working on a master's project a couple of years ago when this was at an earlier stage did a very, very interesting piece of preliminary work just looking at the location of NHS walk-in centres. Where we all want to use a walk-in centre varies quite dramatically in a big city between nighttime and daytime and between daytime and weekend. And so again, we feel that having a much better model of the way in which population numbers are moving around 
rather than a static model and a bit of local knowledge. Uh, there's enormous potential there to feed into some of the kinds of planning work that goes on in that sort of service delivery as well. So there's, there's just three different examples of the ways in which we see this kind of work potentially being used. CRM's co-director, Professor David Martin, was talking to Christine Garrington about his research with colleagues Mark Birkin and Andrew Hudson-Smith at the Talisman Node. You can find out more on the NCRM website.